episode of Fat Girl Book Club. For this episode, we read the book The Fat Lady Sings by Cheryl Fuller. This is kind of a different episode, and I am excited and thrilled that you're going to be listening to uh, an episode with the author. I mean, how cool is that, right? Uh, (laughs) I don't often have authors on the show. As you've noticed, uh, the idea behind what I'm doing on this podcast is to bring someone on where we can have a book club experience, which means we both have read a book that we did not write and we have a discussion about it. And the purpose is to, to use that book as a starting point for a lot of discussion around some of the topics that we hear quite frequently in body liberation spaces. That's the whole idea with the book. So having an author on uh, is fantastic. I love having them on because they can really dive a little deeper into some of the topics that they have in the book. And they give you a really concise overview of what their work is about, what they want you to know. Uh, but in most cases, I, I would prefer to talk to someone about something they didn't write because then it gets, you know, we start to have these conversations that yes, meander and go off sometimes on tangents, but are really relevant to what is happening within the work that we're all doing to try to bring these topics and these thoughts and these ideas and concepts into what we do on a regular and everyday basis. So I think it's a really, I think it's important to do. In this case, this is a topic that I don't think there's a lot of stuff written around. And uh, I think that that's why this appealed to me. So Dr. Fuller is a therapist, a Jungian therapist. And she, in her book, discusses weight stigma in therapy spaces, which I think is very much needed. And to be honest with you, not something I thought about. I never, when I pictured going to therapy, I never got the, my backup in the same way that I got my backup when I went to the doctor. And that's interesting because I actually do, did have an experience where I went to see a quote unquote coach, not a therapist, but like somebody who was trying to be sort of in those realms because the idea with this person was that I would go uh, and talk to her about the pains I was having in my body. So if I had twisted my ankle that week or I felt this kind of weird, you know, kind of heavy feeling in my shoulder or whatever, uh, those types of aches and pains that we get kind of frequently. And I would go to her and she had this kind of big book and she would tell me what it meant what the meaning behind it was kind of in a Louise Hay kind of way, I guess. And those were the things that I had to work on. So we would talk about them as, you know, she would bring them up. And I remember one time sitting with her and we talked about a couple of other things that had happened during the week. And then she decides to look up in the book, uh, overweight, which was, I mean, it was shocking because we had not been talking about anything to do with that whatsoever. And all of a sudden she is looking this up in her book and telling me what it means and what I need to do in order to quote unquote, get out of that state. And I remember being shocked and I remember being angry and I remember sitting in my car just shaking because I was so angry and stressed out and didn't know how to vocalize the fact that I was really upset about this 
what I did in this case was that I wrote her a very, very long text message about my feelings around her bringing up that word and talking to me uh, as though it was a problem, as though my weight was a problem. And I didn't end up sending it. And I just didn't end up going back to her. Now, was that the right approach? I don't know. But when I was talking to Dr. Fuller, I was thinking a lot about this interaction that I had with this person. And it feels relevant because I feel like it was a space that I thought was supposed to be healing uh, on a mental health level. And it wasn't. And at the time, I think I chose the best thing that I could have done for my own mental health, but it was, it, it, it was rough. It was rough. It's interesting to me that going into body liberation spaces, I had never really thought about the uh, patient therapist relationship and the, the ideas behind weight stigma in those spaces. Um, so anyway, I guess what I'm saying is that this was a really in, interesting conversation because we get into that on, on a deeper level. And I think it's going to make you want to go out and get her book. So please do. The other really special thing about this conversation was that I would never have heard of this book if it wasn't for a friend of mine. Pascal Jenkins and I, uh, were talking about other things and she knows a lot about books. It's, we have such an interesting, uh, conversations when we do, because we'll go back and forth, uh, you know, talking in the language of books, which is what I, how I frequently talk, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about something and I'll be like, well, do you remember in this book, it said blah, blah, blah. And she'll say, yeah, well, yeah, but do you remember in this book, it said this. And so we kind of talk in this language of books. And I love that. I mean, people who love books, you are my people, you're my people. So this was this, these conversations I'd had with Pascal and, she brought this book to my attention and I thought, oh, well, this sounds interesting. So, so I did read it and we were having this really great conversation around weight stigma and therapy spaces. And I said, why don't you come on the show? Let's talk about this book because this is so interesting. And she asked, uh, if I could get the author on and I thought, well, worth a shot. <laughs> so I reached out and Dr. Fuller agreed to be on the show, very graciously agreed to be on the show. Uh, so Pascal and I, came up with the questions that I have asked her together. And Pascal is on this call. Uh, you will hear her come in just a couple times. Uh, but I want to point out that the questions themselves were a combined effort. And I was so just grateful and honored that she was there and that she had a good time and uh, that we had a lot of fun in this conversation. Uh, I don't really have much else to say. There are a few things to be aware of that could bring up something for you. So the triggers uh, in this conversation is that because we do talk a lot about weight stigma and therapy spaces, we do kind of get into some of these microaggressions uh, and and weight stigma is trauma. And there's some examples given. So I, you know, this is something that if, you know, if, if this might bring something up for you, if you've maybe had uh, some trauma in these spaces. Maybe this isn't the best episode to listen to. The other thing we do talk about is there is a, uh, there is some discussion around conversion therapy, uh, where there's a parallel, um, as Dr. Fuller says herself, an imperfect parallel made 
between going on a diet and conversion therapy. And we, we kind of flesh this out a little bit. Uh, so if hearing about that might be something triggering, then please, like I said, take a break from this episode and, and hit up some of the other older episodes. I've been going back and listening to some of the older episodes. Uh, and I, I, I just recommend going back and listening to some of them because I, some of my guests have just said some things that have just blown my mind. Even, even now after, (laughs) after a year or so has passed. As always, I'm grateful you're here. Please connect with me on Instagram, Fat Girl Book Club Pod. Uh, and I would love to hear from you. I've also included, I have a new email address, which is great. It's easy to remember, fatgirlbookclubpod at gmail.com. And if you have anything, if you would like to discuss a book, if you don't like something that's been said on the podcast, you do like something that's been said on the podcast. Uh, if you have a book recommendation for me, please please don't hesitate. Reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Okay. So before I forget, I just want to thank my Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to Pascal, to Amy, to Ace, and to Jenny. I just really couldn't do this without you. Let me tell you about the book. So this is the description off of Amazon. The book is called The Fat Lady Sings, A Psychological Exploration of the Cultural Fat Complex and Its Effects. This book examines the so-called war on obesity as an example of a cultural complex, how that complex shapes the way fat is treated in psychotherapy, including the classical Jungian approach to fat as written by Marion Woodman. It looks at the experience of being fat as an ongoing trauma. So if this idea of complex doesn't really make sense to you, no problem. We do get into that in this episode. It will be explained. So that is something that is coming. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you about Dr. Fuller. Cheryl Fuller, PhD, is a Jungian psychotherapist living on the coast of Maine. She has her doctorate in Jungian studies and many years of study and training at various Jung institutes and in Jungian analysis. She brings over 40 years of clinical experience, humor, and enthusiasm to the study of Jung, psychotherapy, feminism, and fat studies. She has a private practice for individuals in Maine and online. Please enjoy this discussion with Dr. Cheryl Fuller and Pascal Jenkins. Okay, this is normally I come on and say, welcome to Fat Girl Book Club, name of my guest, but I have two guests today. So I am so excited about this. Uh, So a very warm welcome to Fat Girl Book Club to both of you, to Dr. Cheryl Fuller and to Pascal Jenkins. This is going to be so fun. Okay, so I, I think... Uh, if it's okay, we're going to start with Dr. Fuller. If you can talk a little bit, because while my guests are readers, they may not have heard of your book. Can no. You talk a little bit about your book <laughs> and a little bit about who you are and about sure. how you started on your body liberation journey. Okie doke. Um, let's see. Uh, I wrote, I finished the book in 2015. Um, and, um, because it's a weird kind of hybrid between a memoir and professional stuff, because I can't write unless it's about me, um, which probably says something about me that we won't go into. I chose, and I figured, I thought I'd have a hard time finding a publisher. Um, and there, there are very few 
publishers interested in things with a Jungian orientation. So I, I took a flyer at uh, Karnak Books, which has now been absorbed into Rutledge right after I was published, but <laughs> that's okay. And much to my, I submitted the proposal, which was, uh, I had to give them um, a, a paragraph, a, an outline, I mean, a chapter and an outline. I sent it in on a Thursday and Monday. They said, we want more. We'd like to publish it. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> who knew? <laughs> so there, my pump, that was who published it. And um, it was a delight working with them uh, there in England. And um, I, I started with a title. You asked me about the title. I can't write if I don't have a title. It's just one of my weirdnesses. I always have a title first. And I was impressed by the fact that so much that's written about fatness is written by thin people who don't have a clue, or, but think that they do. Uh, it's mostly their fantasies about why people are fat. So, uh, and I always like the, the uh, phrase, the fat lady sings. So that became the title. And the second fun part of, about the actual publishing process is I get to choose my own cover image. And so this, the, the woman who made the piece that's on the cover is a potter in Scotland. And she has a whole series of fat lady pieces that I just loved. And this was the one that looked most like a fat lady singing. And she was joyful. So I just loved it. And so we had this fun negotiation where I said, I'd love to use that. Do you have a high res image? And she said, well, yes, I do. I said, how much do you charge? And she says, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that before. So she had to ask a friend of hers. And so I, I paid, I think, $100 for use of the image, which is nothing. And I love it. I just love it. So that was a great deal of fun doing that. The runner up that I couldn't, the person I couldn't reach is a Russian woman who crochets fat women. And they're great. They're funny. And because I wanted it to be, to carry some humor with it. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, it's beautifully written. And, and thank you. Honestly, that I love that you talk about the uh, front cover image because it really is. Uh, it stands out. It very much stands out. It's really, really wonderful. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't have heard about your book if it hadn't been for Pascal. So, Pascal, can you talk a little bit about how you found uh, Dr. Fuller's work and, and what resonated with you about it? Yes, of course. So, um, I was watching a podcast or listening to a podcast by Ash, uh, the Fat Lip podcast and I think that you were interviewed by her sometime yep, yep. Mm -hmm. and I found your book so move, moving for me because I remember it as a large as a large person we we've been told so many things about relationship and love and especially around the men, the men's place so I was I was moved by your personal story, by your professional experience as a therapist, but also as someone who went under therapy. And psychoanalysis is not something simple. You know, it lasts forever mm -hmm. sometimes. Ever. <laughs> Forever, yes. For, 
So I, it was so original, you're, the message that you're telling people and you're, I really like the, the part that you're telling about yourself, your experience. So it was such a great thing. So when I met Jen, and I'm very fond of her work also, because she's doing all this podcast about Fat Girl Book Club. And I said, wow, that we should invite her and we should interview her. So that's the reason why from a podcast to another podcast. So that's why I'm, I'm here today. When I read your book, it was just, I mean, I think you, you said that it's kind of this hybrid. I loved that about it. Like that is what really, um, uh, really drew me in. And then talking about, uh, talking about, what happens in therapy when uh, the person is in a larger body? What happens for the therapist? What happens for the person who is uh, trying to get help? Uh, that was that is something I do not think. And and I've I've had a number of books on my podcast. So I've been going for two years now, but uh, this is something that does not really get talked about a lot. And so I I absolutely love that premise that we began to talk about what happens in therapy spaces when we're walking in with a larger body. Mm. Uh, so maybe maybe we can start there. I mean, what 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 kinds of things do you think need to happen in therapy spaces for people in larger bodies to feel more comfortable? It would be nice if you know um, we could may, wave our magic wands and have the uh, general attitude about fatness change, but that isn't going to happen. Um, and d- so don't hold your breath. Um, <laughs> the thing is that we have to be willing to advocate for ourselves. And uh, there's just no other way around it. I, I, another piece that went into my doing this was I, ke- I kept reading. There, I can't remember the people who did it. Uh, several prominent fat activists who are hypercritical of any psychological approach to what it is to be fat. And I think they're wrong. It's not all, it's not either or. And so I felt it was really important to take that on. Like uh, it's far, and I remember when All About Us started and the and they wanted her, people wanted her, a lot of the fat activism community wanted her to feel good about her weight. And I'm thinking, how unrealistic are you? You know, that's uh, the way she is, is pretty realistic, is the way I know most fat people that I know, including me for most of my life, to be, you know, that it's just hard. And there aren't that many people who are fat, who I think have written honestly about that as an ongoing issue. This, um, I think she's a sociologist, Samantha Murray in Australia is one of the few who wrote, who writes that about what it's like, rather than saying, you know, I've, I found activism and now I'm, uh, I'm living happily ever after and nothing bothers me. <laughs> Bullshit. It's not true. You know, um, I say in the book that I don't think I'll ever really love my upper arms. It's just, I'm not going to wear a sleeveless dress 
because I don't like that they look like ham hocks, you know, and that's not hating them. I just don't like it. And I don't think that 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 feeling stands between me and accepting my body as it is, you know, um, or loving them. I mean, I'm 75 years old. It's not going to change now. Um, so I, I was I wanted to strike a more realistic tone. Um, than I was encountering in a lot of the things that I read. And most of the writers were yo much younger women than I. I wasn't, I wasn't seeing anything really about middle-aged and older women. And, um, and we've had a different journey from many, I, I mean, it's, it's just, in many ways it's the same, but I think the internet has been a huge help in creating a community of fat activism and fat acceptance that didn't exist before that. I, I totally agree. I, uh, I followed some of the historical, like Charlotte Cooper's done a really yep. book about the history of fat activism. Yep. And I think to myself, as I read that, how, how, like all of these events that have happened, they've done it all without the use of the internet, without the use of this ability to connect through time yep. space using something like we're using now uh, to yep. be able to, to chat and talk. And, and that's really, really phenomenal uh, that that was mm -hmm. able to happen. I, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, I also really love what you were saying. Like, even when I read it in your book, it was like, you don't like the way one part of your body looks, but I don't think that's any different than a thin person's experience. No, of course not. Uh, I think we just, I, I think, and especially within these spaces and within these body liberation spaces, we're given this mantle of you have to love yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think you're right. There's a gray area. There's a gray space there. And uh, it's a continual journey to be able to do that. And I don't think that they're, I think they're mutually ex exclusive, this idea of activism and being able to lobby for people in spaces such as absolutely is one thing. And being able to love and accept who you are uh, within your body is a total other. And, and I sometimes think they get convoluted, especially yep. areas of activism, for sure. Yep. For sure. Yep. Uh, you do talk about trauma. Yeah. And I love how you talk about trauma because it, it, there's this, this discussion of, and I, and I think, you know, the weight that, or the word that phrase that gets thrown around here is weight stigma within some circles. Uh, yep. You talk about trauma as being this ongoing thing that, that kind of has to be looked at. Can you talk a little bit about trauma and what that means for somebody in a larger body? Well, we experience what are called microaggressions all the time, day in and day out. It's in, I, um, three and a half years ago, I became diagnosed as a type two diabetic. I love that I was 72 years old, having been fat since I was five. And as everybody knows, if you're fat, you're going to be diabetic. Not necessarily. And everything, if you, if you see the ads for um, diabetes drugs, they all say, and you can lose weight. And in the small print, it will say up to 12 pounds, which I'm sorry, if you're fat is a random fluctuation. You know, 12 pounds isn't even a dress size. <laughs> Who cares? Um, and, no, and nothing miraculous happens from losing 12 pounds. It's like that's the focus. 
um, you know, it's the big selling point on these diabetes drugs. So it's everywhere. It's in, it's in, we, uh, I love Susie Orbach's little book called Bodies. And she makes the point in it that we never see an unretouched image. Ever. And so, but we don't, we don't know that. We don't realize that. So we see perfect skin, beautifully coiffed, beautifully coiffed hair like mine. And we think that's how most people look and there's something wrong with us for looking that when every time an image like that comes, it's a little bit of aggression, just a tiny saying, there's something wrong with you, you know, uh, and those they are cumulative. So it's small traumas all the time. And most traumas, not huge earth shaking stuff. It's the accumulation of little things like repetitive strain injury. You know, you don't develop carpal tunnel one day. It happens over time with overuse. And it's the same with trauma this way. And I think it's not attended. The attention is not given to it. I, I first, I first got the idea when I was reading something that Samantha Murray wrote, when she talked about when she would see herself in a reflection in a window as she walked by. And I realized what she was describing was a trauma reaction. And, um, and that got me started on that. I think that's one piece that I put in the book that's entirely mine, that, that I hadn't seen it written about anywhere. And it's certainly not addressed in therapy. So that in a way, because we're, we have deviant bodies, we are always subject to trauma because we are a departure from the norm and from the usual standards. So even on a good day, you're likely to encounter or fear you will encounter negative feedback about yourself. Yeah. And the book was, that was juicy. I heard that quite a bit. Uh, I do want to bring in, like, because you're coming at this from a Jungian perspective, am I saying that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, there's a discussion around this idea of complexes. And so mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what that means for people who may not have any kind of background when it comes to, mm -hmm. when it comes to this stuff. Well, if you think about it, you've heard that term before. People talk about inferiority complex. You see, it's a complex. I, I often use an example. It's not a really perfect example, but it makes sense. Um, there used to be a sitcom on called Mad About You. And uh, Helen Hunt played the wife, Paul Reiser, the husband. And her parents were visiting one weekend and they drive her crazy and they just left and she falls down the bed. She says, why do they get me so upset? You know, why do they push my buttons so? And he says, because they implanted them. <laughs> <laughs> so a complex is a place, a point where your buttons get pushed. It's a, a collect, it's a feeling tone collection of images, feelings, uh, and stuff, and it's unconscious, and you get sort of caught up in it. It's not something you think about, it just is. And then you catch yourself 
when you're reacting irrationally, for example, it's like, oh, where's that coming from? I like that. I don't like how Marion Woodman, Marion Woodman, I, I have a very ambivalent feelings about Marion Woodman. But um, where it is useful to me is a, a very prominent Jungian, um, Thomas Singer, wrote a book called The Cultural Complex. And he talked about a variety of them. Racism is an outgrowth of a cultural complex. And he didn't identify it, but I believe there's also a fat complex where it's like a possession. The whole culture is possessed by this, these ideas, these feelings about fat. And, and, and we, because we live in the culture, are subjected to it and are part of it. We're not just subject to it. We're part of it. We carry it as well. When I myself was really wrapped up in diet culture, I fed into all of these things. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yes, it really resonated with me. Uh, one of the things, so when you talk about, like, the, they, they're going a little, you know, uh, wild on this show, and it's because of this complex. So is it my understanding that Marin Woodman would see a larger body and say that that is the symptom of, for her, it would be the mother complex. Is that is yeah. That right? Yeah. Yeah. She wrote a book called, um, well, it was her thesis at the Union Institute in Switzerland called The Owl is a Baker's Daughter. And it was, unfortunately, she puts um, fatness and anorexia on two ends of the same spectrum. No, it's that's patently not true. And if you look closely at how she describes what she did, she used what's called the word association test, which was invented by Jung. And so that's not the problem is that she has a very small sample size. And if you look at how she describes her sample, most of them for most of us would not qualify as fat. You know, like fat was 150 pounds. Mm. Uh, most of us would be happy to see that again. So I, I have deep reservations about how she qualified her, the sample upon which she based her ideas, which isn't to say she, that, that there's nothing to what she said. It's just that she drew broader conclusions than I think were merited. And uh, I don't think you can say, you know, that the complexes of father, mother, food, um, anger are always at issue. You know, like everybody, I think, has a mother complex <laughs> because we have mothers and fathers. And probably everybody has a food complex one way or another. But, you, but to generalize that way doesn't work very well. That's where I... I mean, when I first read the book and the second time I read her book and probably the third time, I just was yelling at, <laughs> yelling at her as I read it. And so I had to go back. And that's part of what it's one of the places where my analyst told me, said, you really need to read it more carefully because I see in you some of the things she's writing about. And I was pissed off. <laughs> I said, okay. I'll look at it again. So I did. And he was, and so that, that whole section of the book where I present it as if 
she were an analyst that I was meeting with and responding. And so a quote from her, and I respond to it as if it were a question she asked me. And that helped me find those things within what she was writing that, that, that fit, that were valid to me. I could make sense of them rather than them being sweeping indictments. Uh, it's useful to know that Marion Woodman what has had a history of anorexia. When I was in practice in Portland, you know, uh, uh, several times new dietitians coming to town would call and invite me to lunch. And I, and it was not unusual for a dietitian I was having lunch with to have breadsticks and diet Coke for lunch. Oh, that, that, that's, yeah, it. that's it. Sort of, Oh, food dangerous. And I, I think it's a field in which problem, certainly not all dietitians have a history of eating disorders, but many do. And it's quite likely if you have an interest in issues of fatness, you've got some issues of your own involved in it. You, it's just common sense. It's, how, it's who we are. It's a problematic to deal with it. And I, but I learned a lot finding my way through her arguments and, and was able to find things about myself that I did not otherwise recognize. Or had resisted recognized is probably more accurate. It is so interesting to hear your dialogue in that book because, I mean, it, you you give us this image at the beginning about you stamping your foot and saying no to Marion Woodman directly um, yeah. <laughs> at a conference or at a at a yeah. workshop that you were doing, uh, and then as you go through, you seem to come to a I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say middle ground. I, I think I wrote middle ground in the questions I asked you, but I'm not sure that you go even so far as a middle ground. But there did seem to be some type of reconciling. Oh yeah, her thoughts. Right, because well, a, a union point of view is that we are always projecting onto other people, and so I think a lot of what she wrote about fatness was a projection on her part. She was never fat. But there's the interesting thing about projections is that there's always an element of truth in the projection or it won't stick. And that element of truth can be tiny or it can be just about all of it. And so what I, what I managed to find is, is what in the projection that she was making was true for me. And, and on a personal level, do you think it helped you? I, I mean, it, I, I could see it being really helpful as you're kind of moving through things. You're like, okay, I kind of get now my relationship mm-hmm. with another and some things like that. But do you think it helped you in any way kind of quote unquote, understand your fatness? Yeah, because I started out, I mean, I, I write about this that for years. I went back and forth between wanting it to be all biological not my fault, because if it's biological, it's not my fault. I didn't make myself this way. Or that it was all psychological, which meant if I could just figure it out, presto changeo, uh, the weight would go away. Because that's what everybody thinks, right? <laughs> the fat fairy will fly in, tap you with her magic wand, and it'll all go away. And, and so I would teeter back and forth from one to the other. And the, the tricky part, and this is still hard, is to hold in mind that we are 
mind and a body. In other words, mind and body aren't separate. We're one. And so everything in the, about the body is affected by the mind. You know, so it's not possible um, for fatness to be entirely biological or entirely psychological. You know, it just doesn't. Uh, uh, there are people who um, who have a body type that doesn't gain weight easily, and they can have the very same complexes that married women described, and they don't get fat. So there's clearly a strong um, physical, biological element to it, but that's not all there is. You know. And having a negative mother like I did isn't enough to make you fat either. One of the interesting things for me when I was reading was that, uh, you know, we talk a lot in these spaces about how doctors will sometimes just look at someone in a larger body and think that they're not healthy. And this is what, you know, a, a general consensus too. Do, do you think, or uh, I, I'm just, I don't know that much about the therapy world, but do you, do therapists look at people in larger bodies and automatically think they've got complexes that we have to work through because, because their body is. There are loads of therapists who think that losing weight is a marker of success in therapy. Uh, And hello, therapists are part of the culture. How could they think otherwise? You know, because that's what they're taught. Um, So it's unusual for a therapist. And I, I, offer the example of this woman who was a newly minted union analyst at the time who met me for coffee and she was asking what I was doing. I said, I'm working on this book and, and said, you know, it's always struck me that you have a better chance of recovering from pancreatic cancer than sustaining a major weight loss. And she, and she said to me smiling, well, she said, I think if you went to food addicts and got a sponsor and followed the program, you would lose weight and it would stay off. And I said, no, it wouldn't. And that ended the conversation. I think she's more common than not. And uh, I mean, if I were seeing her professionally, I'd argue with her and I'd say, I want you to demonstrate that for me. Find me in the literature where, where it says that. And a, a, a really good therapist will hear you, will accept an, a, a, an explanation with that, that they may not feel, but they can hear what you're saying. Because it's not the job of the therapist to enforce a point of view on you. There was a, there was a British analyst whose name was Wilfred Bion, who said that we need to approach each session, the therapist needs to approach each session without memory or desire. So it's not about looking back at the last one or about an agenda, that that the therapist needs to not have an agenda for what the patient needs to, to do because it's not our life to live. And unfortunately, I mean, that's, that's a stance that's taken in the, Jungian and in the psychoanalytic world, but not not in the cognitive behavioral world, since it's a different point of view. 
What about a fat therapist who would be educated in the ACE movement or the anti-diet movement? Could she be different? Because in your time, it was difficult to find a therapist who would be open-minded, doesn't have this background of judging you because you're in a different shape. But for now, and I think I live in Montreal in Quebec, We're neighbors. You're in Maine. Mm -hmm. And it's not very common to find a psychologist who is trained in this. Because it's still not, as you said, it's not of the therapist's business to judge you on what you will be doing with your weight. The person is there to help you, to try to figure how to live in a fatter body despite the, com the fat complex? Actually, I would say their job is to help you to live the best life you want. It's not anything about what they want for mm -hmm. you. And um, it's very difficult to find somebody who can, who can keep their own sense of fatness out of it. I mean, even, even my analyst who was terrific at one point said to me, which they tend to do because I made it clear I wasn't going to go on a diet. Well, you could lose some weight. And I said, okay, how much? How much would be enough? Five pounds, 10 pounds, 50 pounds? And why? How would that, make, how would that satisfy you? Because it doesn't satisfy me. And um, he backed down. He backed off of that. But you see, you have to have the presence of mind to be able to stand for your own position. And that's hard because we tend to see the therapist as an, as an authority. Mm -hmm. And we need a safe space. So, yeah. so we're, never, never, we're never able to get a safe space. Um, but we have, to, we have to be willing to create a safe space. Um, which I think is a kind of radical idea. We have to create the safe space by saying this is this is what this is what I am here to deal with. It is not that this situation wouldn't happen for for a thin person. No, it doesn't happen for them. So it's always we have to advocate for ourselves, always, and this is tiring. And very few fat therapists have written about their experience. Mm -hmm. I, um, and uh, I think I found them all, um, <laughs> all four of them. Um, and, yeah. And, um, and one of them, it was interesting. She talked about, you know, she was fat and she lost, she dieted and lost weight. Her patients didn't notice. She tells you something about how she was present in the room. I think that, that the shame about weight, even if you're a therapist, probably afflicts a therapist. You know, it's like, how, how can I write about what it's like to be a fat therapist? Well, and the fact is, there's very little written about being in a body anyway, of any kind, period. It just isn't. Um, so it's getting, getting um, comfortable enough with bodies to write about the experience of being in a body, of being in a room, sitting across from somebody in a body, you know, that, that, uh, that, that's, 
it's still not here. It's not, we can't hear yet. Well, you talk about in your book about how you were treating someone with anorexia uh, <laughs> and you, you recognized that you could potentially be what I was her nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like that was a, uh, not, not only because it's an uncomfortable conversation, but it sounds like that was maybe the first one you had had in the book. So did that get any easier to bring your body into the room? As you heard? It's, it's easy now. It wasn't then. And it was because I had a really good supervisor. When I, when I was talking about working with her, he said, well, have you asked her how it is for her sitting, in, sitting across from you? And I said, no. He said, you have to do that. You have to bring that into the room and talk about it. You have to ask her. And, you know, my mouth went dry. My heart was pounding. I, I had no idea what would happen. And I was willing to say, I wonder how it is for you sitting across from me because I imagine in some ways I'm your nightmare. And to be willing to say that. And now I can do it without, without difficulty. But 30 years ago, that was really hard. I think that would be a difficult conversation. I, I think about the, the thin people in my life and for me to have a conversation with them about what my fatness would mean to them would be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, because yes. you feel like you're exposing yourself. Yes. When I presented the, my first chapter at this writing program I was in, uh, we had a small group and there was an analyst and a writer and then other people like me participating in the program. And I said, I don't eat significantly differently or in larger quantities than any of you. And the analyst sort of goes like this. She says, well, what do you eat? <laughs> I said, I said, do you really want to know? I can tell you. I said, but what you're telling me is exactly what I just said. You have a fantasy about what I eat, and it's not aligned with reality. And, uh, that's the problem. Um, and in fact, it's as ludicrous, you know, the, the whole thing about taxing soda because we keep people from getting, I mean, how do you drink so much soda that you become huge? I don't know. You'd fart it all away after a while. But uh, it's, it's ridiculous. So all of these remedies that are devised are almost exclusively devised by thin people out of their fantasies of what will make someone thin. Like just recently, uh, I get a newsletter, Medscape newsletter. There was a, so you see a picture, an illustration of a stomach and a balloon in it. Which balloon? Is, has the best results. And I'm thinking <laughs> balloons are for birthday parties, not stomachs. But see, that comes out of the fantasy that what you do to make somebody thin is get them to eat less. Now, you can't keep the balloon in the stomach forever. And what's going to happen when you remove it? Why? The weight will come back. So, the, you know, and, but the, the fantasies don't get challenged. No. Because the subjects are all fat and they're not credible. We are not, we are not credible about our own behavior. That is so true. We don't, 
even, even with the amount of books I've had on this podcast, I was trying to think the other day about books that would help people heal their relationship with food. And the, the really big ones in that area are all written by thin privileged white women. And, and I sort of think yeah. that's interesting that we don't have anyone, we have people who are speaking out about their, uh, their experience, but we're not allowing anyone to be experts in these areas that I think are really important. So I, I totally agree with you. We're not, we're not given that uh, expertise. We're not being told that we're allowed to speak about our own experience. My analyst was very supportive of my book. And he was convinced once it came out that it would be a bestseller. I said, Gary, no, it will not be. He said, why? I said, because I'm a fat woman writing about fatness. I'm not credible. It doesn't matter that I'm highly educated. I'm very, uh, I'm very experienced as a therapist and it's well-researched. It doesn't matter. So it's, it's, I'm not credible because I'm not delivering a message that they want to hear. Unfortunately, that is true. It's true. And, and I, I see it too, bringing people onto my podcast to talk about books. Uh, I, I see that quite a bit. You know, there's some very yeah. underrated, amazing books that are written by women who are fat that do not get a lot of discussion or playtime because of that fact. And it's, it's terrible. Did you read Judith Miller's, I think Miller's your last name, Fat Girl? No, I, I read about it for the first time in your book. And I was like, okay, that one's going on the list. Oh, it's stunning. She's dead. She's dead. She died not long after really? it was published. Yeah. Yeah. Died of oh, cancer. Man. It's a searingly honest book. She doesn't sugarcoat anything. She talks about chafing and uh, all the things that we never talk about. That's a amazing and I definitely have to get that experience under my belt oh yeah it's a very good book uh one of the things you do make an interesting parallel in your book with and it comes up more than once um is this discussion around conversion therapy and yeah I've been thinking about it again and, and I, I'm interested to hear you talk a little bit more about that yeah it's not a perfect parallel but basically what we classically think about as conversion therapy is not wanting homosexuals to go away, to not exist as homosexuals anymore. And um, I think that treatment <laughs> for fatness is the same th idea, to make us go away, to not be fat, because we are an assault on aesthetic sensibilities. You know, we are a crime against beauty or something. <laughs> and so it's, it's to make us not be. So as long as you're fat, you're a sinner. You're bad. And in order to be good, you have to get thin. So, and so it is a kind of conversion therapy. Um, and I was just thinking about it again recently that, I, I mean, I think it's even more so that with all these weird, you know, like, swallowing balloons and there's even a device that makes you that you eat and it will extract the food from you. it's um, like a bulimia yeah. device i mean it's terrible the guy who invented the segway invented that device yeah so he's a he's very creative but it's <laughs> ridiculous you know 
So any kind of torture is acceptable when it's applied to fat people. So mutilating a healthy organ, mm -hmm. you know, um, is acceptable, which, which reminds me of, um, of what happened early on when uh, hysteria was seen as due to a wandering womb. And so it the uterus had to be removed to make you be sensible. It's the same thing, you know, it's like you, you, you can mutilate a woman to make her conform. There's some things that nowadays, well, when you were mentioning that, I'm laughing, but at the time, you know, this was considered serious science. Uh, and, and I think convergent therapy at one point was as well considered very serious. You know, this is a very real discussion about how yeah. real and practical we can do. Um, and I think dieting and bypass surgery and uh, I had Kimberly Dark on the on the podcast. And she talked about uh, aversion therapy for food where she would have to she really liked to eat and bring it and eat it while they were like spraying her with horrible smelling scents like we do these things that are just absolutely ludicrous and we laugh about them but at the same time they're considered serious science they're considered uh, an actual practical um way to quote-unquote deal with uh, our bodies there, and there's a there's an additional problem that doesn't get talked about there are gay people who don't want to be gay and they're the people who seek out conversion therapy. So what do we do with people? I mean, obviously, I mean, the obvious solution is, you know, a, is, is psychotherapy, but it can't, it's not going to be 12 sessions of cognitive behavioral therapy. It's going to be long-term and very serious, you know, because it's, um, it's a turning against the self. There are people who do not want to accept having a fat body. What do you do? How do you deal with that? And we don't have a, you know, just blanketly condemning whatever things people do to lose weight is not, is no better than, than saying people must do those things because there are people that we are missing, you know, and, and what, how do we help them? And um, we don't have an answer. We don't have an answer. I think that is one of the beautiful things when, uh, like, I don't envy your position being in the therapy realm because the idea is that you have to help everyone. Being in the activist realm, you can say, um, well, those guys don't really fit with our agenda, so we're not going to talk about them. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it is, it is really rough because looking at it from the outside perspective, this is not a personal problem. Like you may not want to be fat, but that is not because that is because the culture is telling you, you shouldn't be fat. It is not a personal choice as much as you think it is. And there is recognition that everybody has autonomy, but the reality is, is that the culture is what is forcing you to yep. believe these things. And that's how we can explain it within activism circles. It's not the same when you get into these therapy circles, as you've just said, you have to be able to help them without pushing your own agenda. So how do you do that? Yeah, you have to be able to listen without, without memory or desire, without judging, you know. Um, I, would, I do things like, well, how will life be different if you lose this weight? And uh, my very best friend, which I mentioned in the book, Pauline, 
weighed more than 100 pounds more than I did. And she died in 2012. So she's been dead for 10 years. And she more than two times in the 20 years that I knew her lost 100 pounds and regained it. And that's, I mean, think about that. Think about how horrible that is to do the, the, make the effort to lose all that weight only to have it come back again. You know, it's a real assault on the soul. And she wanted to have uh, surgery to reduce the size of her penis. That's the part of the belly that hangs down because it made, it gave her mobility problems. And there was a surgeon that she consulted in Boston who would do the surgery, but first she'd have to lose weight. You know, she couldn't. So she wasn't going to do that again. She couldn't do it again. So and she was caught in a catch-22. That's a terrible dilemma. It's a terrible, terrible dilemma. I know another woman who had, I know more than one woman who had um, bariatric surgery and gained all the weight back. So it's these panaceas aren't panaceas, but they're not sold that way. And my, so my job, if somebody comes to me with these kinds of issues, is not to say you shouldn't do that, but to just ask, to, to challenge them. What, what, how will your life be different? What if, you, what if it doesn't work for you? Then what will you do? So to, to do that instead of saying, yes, you should do this or no, you shouldn't, because that doesn't work. I can so tell you're a writer when you use expressions like assault on the soul, that was beautiful. And hit, Thank you. hit me, that hit me because that's, uh, that is, I imagine exactly how it felt. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, we had one more question when Pascal and I were talking, uh, especially around, because you do discuss your first husband in here. Yes. Especially around, this idea of, of feeling loved in a larger body. And uh, do you have, happen to have your copy of the book? Yep. yep. Uh, there was a section that we, we would be honored if you would read. From the time we got married until the time of the divorce, he kept telling me he would really love me when I weighed 120 pounds. Over the first 10 years, I went to Jazzercise and Weight Watchers, tried diet workshop. I went to my doctor, who said he had experienced helping people lose weight. I wrote down everything I ate. I dreamt about food. I got up in the morning thinking already about what I would have for dinner. I weighed myself every day. I made a chart, a graph to show my weight loss. That chart I made showed I was losing weight, even though in reality I was gaining. The chart lied, I lied, he never noticed. He was still saying he would really love me when I weighed 120. I was making myself go farther and farther away from being really loved. I was angry that he kept telling me throughout the marriage that he would really love me when I weighed 120 pounds. And he was angry that I never attained that goal. He betrayed me in the way that mattered to most to me. I betrayed him in the way that mattered most to him. In a mostly silent battle, 
we slowly annihilated whatever good feeling had kept us together. Anger was the strongest thing we had in common other than our children. I remember sitting across from him at lunch in a neighborhood restaurant and hearing him coolly and dispassionately tell me he just didn't find me attractive and I can feel the humiliation and anger I felt then. In the 24 years we were married, I gained 100 pounds. It wasn't from the food I ate. It was the anger I swallowed, the humiliation I accepted. Or was it? I don't know. I don't remember if I said in the book, but his mother was um, tiny. And um, I used to joke that if she'd have a psychotic episode if her weight went above 100 pounds. She was always checking to see <laughs> if her waist was still there. And so I... I mean, in hindsight, I can see far more readily how he came to the feelings that he had. And I can see, it, it didn't take me long to see that what the, what the reason was that I married him and that he married me, we each wanted a family. And I don't know how the marriage would have survived after the children left home anyway, because we had fulfilled the, our task. And so in that sense, the marriage wasn't a failure. It was a success at what it was intended to do. But we wounded each other a lot in the process. Interestingly, I was single for seven years. I remarried in 2002 to my current husband, where weight is not an issue even close. It was, it's just not there. I don't I, I credit that to a really long and good analysis and, and having deeply looked inside myself about what, what was wrong in my first marriage. Uh, you know, reading, reading that, I love that you put this perspective on it here. And, and I think you did too in the book. I just, this was very concise and you were able to, to very beautifully put that out there. Uh, and, and it's interesting to me that it sounds like, and I mean, I could be way off on this, but what you're saying here is that he may have had a bit of a mother complex going on. Oh, oh yes. Yes, he did indeed. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If she could have, she would have been in the bed with us. <laughs> So she was metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. There's double whammies going on there with mother. Oh, yeah. When I was, you know, when I say to myself, remember George Bush said when he was young and foolish, he was young and foolish. I was 24 when I married him. What did I know? <laughs> yeah. So. Um, married around that age, too. So I know exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, and it's so interesting to me that the, the weight was such a prominent feature of that first marriage and not in the second. And you say that that had a lot to do with the work you had done. And I, and I think that yeah. that's really interesting. Um, do you recommend that for people? Like if, if I was saying that, you know, that, that I had a lot of body image issues, would you recommend that therapy is a good step in order to help people overcome that? Sure. Sure. If you, but you have to. You have to take the time to find a good therapist. I mean, I have tons of thoughts, feelings, and issues about about um, ther about the psychotherapy um, business. 
I really don't believe that health insurance should cover therapy mm -hmm. because he who pays the piper picks the tune. Mm -hmm. So if, if your therapy is being paid for by insurance, mm -hmm. they get to decide how long you can see them, who's an acceptable provider, all of that. And that means that the contract is not between you and the therapist. It's between you and the therapist and the insurance company. Mm -hmm. So there's a constant third party involved, which I think is, a, I, and I, in my own practice, I don't accept insurance. I have a sliding fee scale instead. And you have to be willing to, to shop around for a therapist who, who knows what they're doing, who has experience, and you have to challenge them about some of their about some of their points of view. I mean, the American Psychological Association has a very misguided belief that psychology has something, has, has a, um, solutions for yeah. weight. That's not true. I mean, I'm a psychologist and I know it's not true. Yeah. Um, Noom, you know, the thing. Yeah, right. Um, they haven't done long-term follow-up on that. And the long-term follow-up is going to be exactly like every other diet program. So it's not a behavioral issue. You can serve your food on smaller plates. You can count the number of times you chew all that stuff. You know, that's fine. But it won't change who you are and how you feel inside because you're making it dependent on how you look. And that's the problem. So it's, it's not easy to confront the um, ways you have internalized the cultural messages about fatness. That's what has to happen. And in order to do that, you have to have a therapist who is willing to wrestle with that with you. The, and the union point of view, the therapist and the patient are in it together. And what, what's healing in therapy is the relationship, not any whippy-dippy techniques or whether you get homework or whether there's a workbook. It's about the relationship. The two of you have to have, to have a good, a solid working relationship. And optimally, you're both changed by the experience. You both get changed. That's the, th I'm not a good union. I'm actually a kind of bad union because I've strayed from the fold on some things. So I, I think I straddle the um, psychoanalytic and union world. But the thing I really like about the union point of view is that it really is a mutual process. That's beautiful. And I think as, as, as me in a larger body, I struggle sometimes with relationship and, and having people in my life who understand me. And so yeah. to be able to uh, foster a relationship that is so reciprocal and, and beautiful on its own is just a really wonderful yeah. and so beyond the new idea that we yeah. can somehow I don't I don't even know they're 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 whatever they're doing. Um, <laughs> Worksheets. somehow we can make it work without without putting in work like that's how it feels like it's it's uh, marketed yeah and the thing is good therapy is not gonna it's not about making you feel good it's about helping you to to 
to be all of who you are, which includes the creepy, crawly, dark pieces, as well as the, as the good stuff, you know, because that's who we are. We're all of that. <laughs> I don't want to look there. Though. <laughs> Nobody does. Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up, but I just want to ask Pascal, was there anything else that you wanted to ask or uh, that you wanted to comment on before I move into my last question? I would like to thank Dr. Fuller for her time and consideration it was very interesting. And thank you very much, both of you. So I ask all my guests uh, if, uh, and normally I'm not talking to the author, I'm normally talking to someone who's just read the book. So I will ask them uh, what, what they would recommend if somebody had read this book and loves the themes and the ideas in it, where would you direct them to look next? Do you have another book that you would tell somebody to read after reading yours? I love Fat Girl. I think it's a wonderful book because it's so honest um, and it will upset a lot of people um, because it's so honest. <sighs> it's hard for me to think of, a, of other, you know, it's like I, I haven't read, there are lots of more popular books like Tess, Jess Baker's and, you know, they're, they're, they're good books, um, but it's not where I am, you know, because I'm, a, I'm a, this weird creature that's concerned with the psychological stuff. Um, so um, whatever, whatever helps you open up what's going on inside you, whatever book that is, is a good book. I don't even want to say anything right now. That was perfect. And I'm a book podcast. Uh, Okay, okay, that was amazing. Uh, I guess what we should end with is, uh, Dr. Fuller, how could people get a hold of you? Have you got social media handles or anything like that, that that we can talk about and promote? Sure. I have a blog. It's uh, Jung at Heart. It's Jung-at-heart.com. And you'll see that I write pretty much the way I talk. Uh, and in pictures, I take my own pictures that are on it. So you can see my cats. Um, Twitter, I'm Dr. Cheryl, and it's at C. Fuller PhD. I'm on Facebook, but I don't post there. I just, you know, if I have a new blog post, I put it on there. I'm disgusted with Facebook, as many people are. Um, or you, I can be reached via email at C Fuller PhD at gmail.com. Okay. And uh, do you still take patients? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, I do. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep, I do. Uh, that's great. Just don't think you're going to use your insurance because you won't. Right. Um, <laughs> fair. You have given fair warning. Yes. Uh, I will have links to all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to grab onto all any of those, just scroll down and click. They'll be the first thing on there. I just want to thank you so much for taking the time, Dr. Fuller. This was an incredible, like I read your book. I knew it was going to be fantastic, but this was beyond expectations. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to Fat Girl Book Club. Uh, and Pascal, I really want to thank you for bringing this book to my attention. This was such a great read. So thank you, both of you, for being on Fat Girl Book. 
Thank you. Um, I love having the opportunity to talk about these things. And so it's a real gift to me. Thank you. Thank you. Wasn't that fun? I had a blast during this conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, I really feel like we need a lot more discussion around uh, the, the, the weight stigma that are, that is in therapy spaces. Uh, and this is something that, that I think I'm glad that I was able to, to talk to Dr. Fuller and Pascal about these issues, because quite honestly, it wasn't something I thought about. And like I said, at the beginning, I'd had that experience with a, again, not a therapist, but uh, a, a coach of some kind that's supposed to be kind of you know, I mean, the expectation when I walk into these spaces is not that someone's going to judge me for my body. But as Dr. Fuller was talking about, why why would I think that they're exempt from looking at my body and seeing some type of a symptom in the way that I present? Uh, they live in this world just as much as the rest of us. So I, I just think it's interesting. I love that we have a lot of discussion around what it means to go to a doctor, but it's time to talk about what it means to go to a therapist in a larger body. So I, I just hope that, uh, this gets you thinking again, please connect with me on Instagram, fat girl book club pod, uh, or send me an email and, or I'd love you if, if you did both, <laughs> uh, email addresses in the show notes. Keep reading everyone. <laughs>